Dear fellow redeemed, our text, our gospel lesson for the vigil of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit caused the Apostle St. John to record in the 14th chapter of his gospel, beginning at the 15th verse. We read in Jesus' name. Jesus said, If you love me, hold on to my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he stays with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. The one who has my commands and holds on to them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Do you love Jesus? I'll be honest, I don't know how often I actually ask that question of myself. It seems like it should have that sort of obvious knee-jerk answer, yes, like, is the sky blue? Is two plus two four? But if the question keeps getting asked, we might react the way Peter did when that question was repeatedly asked of him. Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him a third time, do you care about me? He answered, Lord, you know all things. You know that I care about you. Jesus tells us a truth here today. If you love me, hold on to my commands. This is evidence. It's a causal relationship. If it is true that you love Jesus, then it is also true that you hold on to his commandments. At the end of this section, Jesus reverses the order to show how true this is. The one who has my commands and holds on to them is the one who loves me. If you know anything about human nature, though, you'll know how difficult this is. Mom says, don't touch that, and as soon as she's left the room, it's in the child's hands. Dad says, this is how we're going to do it from now on, and the night that he's away, the kids do it how they want, pulling the wool over Mom's eyes. But the thing is, Jesus has not left us alone. The Holy Spirit is with us, and despite the appearances that our physical eyes perceive, Jesus is also with us. This night, the Vigil of Pentecost finds the Christian church waiting as those disciples waited until they were clothed with power from on high so that Jesus' promises would come true for them and they would be able to hold on to his commands. So now the Holy Spirit is with us. I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. This is a promise. There are no conditions, no strings. The counselor comes to you, the one who is, the spirit of truth comes to you. He's with you already. We wait tonight as children wait for the dawning of Christmas or their birthday. Tomorrow is the birthday of the church. But instead of blowing out the candles with our breath, the breath of God will pour out onto his people and fill them with his holy fire. We are a result of that first Christian Pentecost. In creation, the Holy Spirit was present and at work. 
The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water, as Moses records. In the work of all God's prophets, the Holy Spirit was the driving agent. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, said the prophet Isaiah, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the afflicted. At the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit was, and still is, the living and active force. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages since the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak fluently. According to Jesus' promise, that same Spirit is still working in and with you. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, St. Paul wrote, who is within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. This touches on a theme that is found throughout Scripture, and it's important to understand. And that's the theme of the temple. I recently published a paper on the subject of Old Testament worship in the temple, and I am still learning about it. It's a marvelous image of the living God's presence among his people. Think of how Jesus prophesied, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And he was speaking there, of course, about the temple of his body. Jesus himself being the fulfillment of the Old Testament temple, the place where the living God is present among his people. That was the Garden of Eden before the fall. Man was in perfect communion with God, in whose image he was made, and Adam was assigned there to work it and to take care of it. These are the same words describing the task of the priests and the Levites in the tabernacle. And this is significant because you remember what happened in that garden. God drove the man out, and in front of the Garden of Eden he stationed cherubim and a flaming sword which turned in every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And thus was established the fact that life could not be accessed but through fire. And in the tabernacle, and then in the temple, God provided the means by which he could deliver life to his people in his holy fire. When the tabernacle had been constructed, the glory of the Lord filled the tent, and the appearance of the glory of the Lord looked like a devouring fire. And that fire lit the altar and consumed the sacrifices that were placed on it, the sacrifices which purified the people and paid for their sins. But the fact is that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. Therefore, these sacrifices and that tabernacle and that temple all pointed ahead to a greater fulfillment. God had become separated from his people because of the fall, because of sin. And he sought to restore that relationship in a right way. The sacrifices, the tabernacle, the temple, it all prepared his people for fulfillment in Jesus. By only one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being sanctified. And therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place through the blood of Jesus. Past the flaming sword, past the fiery heavenly beings who guard the holy place, we can enter once again into God's presence. Why? We've been purified with fire. The holiness of Jesus is delivered to you by the Holy Spirit. The fire of the Holy Spirit covers you. He is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. In rejecting God, the world remains in darkness and can have no part of the light. 
The fire only destroys them. But because of the powerful word creating faith in our hearts, because of our death and resurrection and baptism preparing our future death and resurrection to eternity, tying us to the death of Jesus and His glorious resurrection, our human flesh is now welcome in God's presence. And therefore your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have from God. You know Him because He stays with you and will be in you. And He also causes Jesus to be with us. And this our Lord promises, I am coming to you. We don't see Him now. In His bodily presence, Jesus was the comfort for His disciples at first, but they would lose that. Their Lord would not be present in such a way that those who loved Him could hug or kiss Him, hold His arm, lean against Him. We've all known this loss of loved ones. To an extent, we take comfort in knowing that we will see them again. But what about now? What about this pain I'm feeling, this loss I'm feeling now? With Jesus, we have not truly lost Him. Even when He went to the cross and His disciples mourned, they had not lost Him he had won them. In that day, he promised, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. We're united to Jesus. His flesh is our flesh. He is our bridegroom who gives us all his wealth, his inheritance. He is the vine. We are the branches. He is our head. We are his body. He lives in the temple of our hearts. We are wrapped in Him like a garment. So when sin, the law, or your conscience begin to condemn you and point out that flaming presence of God so that you fear it, when they warn you that you better stay away, don't even try to approach because you'll just be burned, when they accuse you for your sins, let them accuse the Son of God. Jesus is your shield. When your sin seeks to pierce you on the tip of its spear, hold up the cross where Jesus was already pierced for you. When the devil's flaming arrows fly toward you, hold up your baptism where you were buried with Jesus and raised with Jesus and those flaming arrows are extinguished. When the world hurls insults or stones at your head, Rest yourself in the arms of Christ, for those weapons strike Him for you. He is in you, and you are in Him. Luther wrote this comforting, comforting passage to his audiences, and I hope to share it with you today. He said, Thus, this comforting assurance is given to Christians who are frightened by death and all sorts of misfortune, so that they can defy the devil and the world and say, when you kill me, you really do not kill me. You help me gain life. When you bury me, you lift me out of ashes and dust up into heaven. In brief, your wrath and rage is nothing but grace and help, for you merely give me reason for and the beginning of Christ's bestowal of life on me, as he says, I live, and you will live also. So hear now what Jesus says. 
If you love me, hold on to my commands. The one who has my commands and holds on to them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus foresaw factions and divisions, so the true disciples would obey his instructions only, without adding or subtracting. That is to hold on to Jesus' commands. The same work of Adam, to work and take care of them, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, that's only to present the gospel. It's not a burden laid on you. It's an opportunity And it stems from the promise. Jesus has not left you alone. He sends you the Comforter in word and sacrament. You have him now. And Jesus himself comes to you in the same means of grace. You are alive in him now and in eternity. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.